Thank you for coming back tonight. I need to confess to you that tonight I am in agony. It pains me to deal with this chapter in one night. There is so much that is in this chapter that I wish I could do about a two-month series on. And we are just going to touch the surface. This is really low-hanging fruit tonight. Um, it's very, very simple stuff as we get through uh, what is a very uh, full chapter dealing with the Millennial Kingdom and the judgment seat of Christ. Obviously, those things we could say so much about, uh, but I'm going to stick to my word, and we're doing one chapter a night, uh, so here it goes. All right, uh, we're looking at events surrounding the millennial reign of Christ, Revelation chapter 20. Introduction. Last time, we considered the return of Christ in power and great glory. Revelation 19, 5 and 6, and from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants. You who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So the theme tonight is we're going to consider the events accompanying and surrounding the millennial, that is 1,000 year, earthly reign of Christ. And that's important. This is talking about Christ's earthly reign, uh, here on this earth for a period of a thousand years. So here are the main elements that surround the millennial reign of Christ. First, Satan is bound. The duration of Satan's binding is that he is bound for a thousand years, Revelation 21 and 2. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. The nature of his binding, he is bound securely. For it tells us in verse 2 that he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil, bound him for a thousand years, threw him into a pit, and shut it and sealed it over him. All to say he is secure in his binding. See, the purpose of Satan's binding. Satan is bound so that he will not continue to deceive the nations. Chapter 20, verse 3. Threw him into a pit, shut it, sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Uh, so the satanic influence of um, trying to convince this world of the Antichrist, opposing the, the true Christ, uh, the deception of the miracles, the wonders, etc., that have been taking place during the book of Revelation, all of that will cease at this time. D, the end of Satan's binding. Satan will be set free for a time while at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. Revelation 20, verse 3, just reading the underlying verse, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he, that is the Satan, must be released for a little while. Now here, and aside on Satan's present binding, there are three views about 
uh, Christ's reign. There is what is viewed as amillennialism, amillennial, ah meaning not, and uh, millennial meaning thousand year. Uh, so there is the amillennial position, which there is no literal thousand year reign of Christ uh, here on earth. Uh, it's a spiritual reign only uh, that is what's happening now and will continue until there is a new heaven and new earth. Then there is a post-millennial position, and that is at the end of the thousand years, Christ comes, uh, and that the thousand-year reign of Christ is a result of the gospel's influence, that uh, the gospel will have been so overwhelmingly powerful that it will have brought about the changes that are depicted, and when all those changes take place, Christ returns. Well, we are premillennialists, which means we believe that Christ returns to this earth and uh, reigns for a thousand years. Uh, the strongest argument for amillennialism is the reference to Satan's being bound now. So that's what I want to consider with you for just a moment as an aside. The scriptures refer to Satan's already being bound. Our passage talks about his being bound. How do you reconcile those two ideas? So number one, Jesus in his earthly ministry spoke of his present binding of Satan. Matthew chapter 12, verse 27 through 29. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Number two, Jesus in his earthly ministry spoke in terms of the kingdom having come in relationship to the binding of Satan. Matthew 27, excuse me, Matthew chapter 12, verse 27. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So here is a statement that says Christ's kingdom has come. All right? And people would say, what be, could be more clear than that? And it's referring to Christ in his first coming. Three, there is certainly a binding of the power of Satan as it relates to the child of God in this present age. First John 4, 3 and 4 says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So the spirit of God in us is greater than the evil one who is in the world. Number four, the child of God is no longer under the dominion of Satan. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So here it tells us that, that we have been removed from the kingdom of darkness under Satan's rule and domain, for he is the prince and power of the air. So we've been removed from his kingdom and made a part of 
Christ's kingdom now. Number five, there is a sense in which Christ reigns now, but will reign more fully in the millennial kingdom. Hebrews 2, 7 and 8. You made him, that's God referring, uh, the you is God, made him, that is Jesus, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So right now, Christ has authority over all things. Uh, Ephesians tells us that he is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Jesus has complete authority, but he has not yet exercised that authority completely and fully, according to the book of Hebrews. There is coming a time in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Number six, our text requires a fuller, more complete binding of Satan, which does not have to do with binding him in relationship to the child of God, but rather binding him in relationship to an unbelieving world. So my point is there is a sense in which Satan is bound in relationship to us. Satan cannot do to us anything other than what God allows him to do. Uh, we do not have to fear the evil one. We are not under his domain. We are not under his power. We are not under his control. We are a part of Christ's kingdom now. But six, our text requires a fuller, more complete binding of Satan, which does not have to do with binding him in relationship to the child of God, but rather binding him in relationship to an unbelieving world. Revelation 20, verse 3. And cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. People are still being deceived. People are still being taken in by false prophets, false teachers. Uh, that work of the evil one is continuing on, and in fact is going to get worse and worse as we've been looking at the book of Revelation until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. There's going to be the false prophet. There's going to be the, the resurrection of the Antichrist. All those things that we've been discussing are still yet future, even to us. So Satan is not bound, if you will, in relationship to the unbelieving world. So number seven, the emphasis is upon a fuller, more comprehensive establishment of Christ's kingdom. Number two, the relationship of the righteous dead to the millennial kingdom. The dead in Christ are resurrected bodily from the dead. Revelation 20, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Their coming to life is referring to their bodily resurrection. 
In the book of Thessalonians, you know that great passage that says, uh, we would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. There's going to be a, a shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So when Jesus Christ is returning to this earth, he is bringing with him the spirits, the souls of the people of God. So right now when a person dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a person who is a believer dies, their body is in the grave and their soul, their spirit is with, with God. When Christ returns, he brings with him all the righteous souls, all the righteous spirits who are in his presence now, emotionally and uh, intellectually uh, awake and understanding. When Christ returns, then the bodies are raised and we are reunited body and soul, all right? The people who are still alive at that time who are believers are, are immediately changed and transformed. Uh, we uh, receive uh, our new bodies at that time. So when Christ comes back to this earth, that's when the bodily resurrection takes place so that those people participate in the millennial reign of Christ. B. The resurrected believers will participate in Christ's reign. Just looking at the end of verse 4 of chapter 20. They came to life and reigned for a thousand years. Number three, the relationship of the unrighteous dead to the millennial kingdom. The unrighteous dead do not come alive during the millennial reign of Christ. Revelation 20, verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life. The rest being the unrighteous dead. So all those who have died in Christ, meaning that when they died, they were united to Christ, they had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, all of those people are resurrected at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. All of the non-believers who have died, their bodies are still in the grave, and they are not resurrected for the millennial kingdom. Number B, the unrighteous dead are not participating in God's blessing. Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is one who shares in the first resurrection. You see, that's a, a wonderful thing. That's a, that's a terrific event, this First resurrection, because we are resurrected to be with Christ and reign with him and enjoy this thousand-year period. The non-believers are not raised for that benefit and that joy. Any questions? Since I'm going to be moving on. Any, any, anything that's burning that uh, is not real clear at this point? Anything, anybody got anything they want to ask? Okay, moving on. The outcome of Christ's reign. 
At the end of a thousand years, Satan is set free from his imprisonment. Revelation 20, verse 7. Satan will be released from his prison. Note the emphasis is that Satan does not break out of prison. Satan is released or set free, said twice. In Revelation 20, verse 3, after that he must be released for a little while. Revelation 20, verse 7, Satan will be released from his prison. So we don't have a jailbreak here, right? Satan is not picking the lock. He is not overcoming the seal. He is not crawling up the sides of the pit. He is not in control. But rather... Christ releases him from the bottomless pit for a brief period of time. B, Satan will return to his activities of deceiving the nations. Revelation 20, verse 8. And he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog, Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And aside here, I, <clears throat> again, there are just so many things that are worthy of going into at great detail, but I just don't have the time. But let me say this much, all right? There's a big theological argument over where do the non-believers come from in the millennial kingdom, all right? Where are they? These people that are gathering together to fight against uh, Christ, where do they come from? For there are some that would teach that only believers enter the millennial kingdom. So where do these non-believers come from? Their answer is they are children of believers in the millennial kingdom. Let me just say there's a whole slew of problems with that in my estimation. Rather, better understood that these are non-believers that are present during the entire millennial reign of Christ. They are non-believers when they enter. They continue as non-believers during Christ's reign. That's why he's reigning with a rod of iron. These are people that outwardly are submitting to Christ because they have no choice. But inwardly, they are still rebellious. Moving on. I don't have time to prove all that. C. Satan will gather a great host of unbelievers to rebel against Christ's reign. Revelation 20, verse 8. And will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. So there's going to be this huge host of non-believers that are going to gather together to fight against Christ and his co-regents. E, Satan and his demonic cohorts are, uh, excuse me, uh, D, the rebellion will be squashed by the power of God. Revelation 20, verse 9. They marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. So these, these armies are defeated, not with sword, not with uh, a fight, if you will. It's not 
God's people that are now going to be uh, warring against these ungodly people, but God is going to destroy them uh, in a miraculous way of fire coming down from heaven, depicting his judgment upon them. E, Satan and his demonic cohorts are punished eternally, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. An unceasing, unrelenting punishment. It's eternal, it's forever and ever, and it's uh, day and night. So it's speaking of a 24-7 punishment of the evil one for all eternity. Number five, the wicked will be resurrected. Remember, the unrighteous dead are still dead. They have not yet been resurrected. They are not a part of the millennial kingdom. So the wicked dead are resurrected after the end of the millennial kingdom, after this rebellion has been put down, after the evil one has been uh, banished to the lake of fire. Then the wicked will be resurrected, judged, and condemned at the end of the thousand-year earthly reign of Christ. Revelation 20, verse 5. The rest of the dead will not come to life until the thousand years were ended. The throne is revealed. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. The wicked dead are raised to receive judgment, and I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. The wicked dead will be judged according to their works. Uh, let me go back and pick up uh, the end of verse 12. So I'm back to page 5, Revelation 20, verse 12, after the underlined portion. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So, page 6, Revelation 20, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to what they had done. NAS translates that according to their deeds. King James translates that according to their works. D, the wicked dead will be thrown bodily into the lake of fire. The death in Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Hades is the place of the unrighteous dead at this point. Hades uh, simply refers to the place of the dead. Uh, there is a wicked side of Hades, if you will, there is a good side of Hades, which is paradise, uh, but uh, not to get too complicated here, uh, these are those that are in a place already of judgment. They're resurrected and bodily thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. A death, if you remember in Scripture, is primarily a state of separation. Death does not mean end of existence. Death is separation. 
Physical death is separation of body and soul. So when a person physically dies, there is a separation of their, their body and their soul. We've all gone to funerals. We've all seen corpses. We all realize that the person is no longer there. Cannot speak, cannot talk. You can't have a relationship to, the, to them. That person, that spirit, that soul, that essence of the true individual, that intellectual, emotional soul of a being continues on, whether you are righteous or unrighteous. That is eternal. There's going to come a time of resurrection. In the beginning of the millennial reign, it's the resurrection of the righteous dead. At the end of the millennial kingdom, it's the resurrection of the unrighteous dead. Just to put aside, uh, that then tells us that there is no death for the people of God during the millennial kingdom. That resurrection has already had. There are people that are going to die during the millennial kingdom, those that are rebelling against Christ, and they will be resurrected along with all the other unrighteous dead at the end of the millennial kingdom. Hopefully, I'm not confusing you. Moving on, E. The only means of escaping the judgment will be to have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, and everyone's name, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. So the only way to escape this judgment is to have, have one's name found in the book of life. And the point is that none of these people will have their names in the book of life, thus they are thrown into the lake of fire. So number one, it's important to understand that failing to believe in Jesus is not the way into or cause of judgment. Two, the cause of judgment is the wicked deeds, sinfulness of mankind. The books were opened and they were judged according to their deeds. It is a common misconception among many evangelicals that the basis of judgment is people failing to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not the basis of judgment. You didn't even have to hear about Jesus, and you're still going to be judged. All right? Failing to believe in judgment, uh, Jesus is not the way into judgment. It's the way out of judgment. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For this is the condemnation, the that uh, Christ came into the world, and they loved a darkness rather than light, and so they stand condemned already. They're already condemned before Christ came into the world. The only way out of condemnation is to believe in Jesus. What they're condemned for is their sins, their deeds, their lying, their stealing, their breaking of God's law. So failing to believe in Jesus is not the way in, but believing in Jesus is, is the way out. <clears throat> Three, I already said that. However, the belief in Jesus is the one only way of judgment or condemnation. F, this is the complete and final judgment. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And remember, 
Satan is already there. Another misconception that we get from the world is that Satan is the ruler over hell. You uh, probably have seen depictions of the devil in a red suit and uh, horns and a pitchfork and maybe a cauldron, and uh, he is in hell with the fires all around, and uh, he is administering uh, torture to uh, all those that are in hell under his domain. He is not ruling over hell. He is a participant in hell. He is not doling out the torment. He is receiving and experiencing torment. This is God's judgment. This is what God is doing. His wrath is being poured out on all those whose wrath was not poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We are spared because we have believed in Jesus. They are not spared. Not because they haven't believed in Jesus, but because of their sin, the only way out is to have believed and they they didn't, so they don't escape. But Satan is not ruling over hell. He is a participant in hell. Well, that is quite the overview. (laughs) Uh, Not much detail. But I I thought it might be helpful. I have included here uh, an excerpt from the Articles of Faith of Biofellowship Church. A number of years ago, I was appointed chair of a study committee uh, by annual conference to write an article on uh, the kingdom of God and the last days. And this is what uh, we wrote and presented to annual conference, and it was adopted and uh, now is a part of our Articles of Faith. So i biased because I wrote it, but I believe this is a pretty good summary of uh, what we're talking about. So the kingdom of God. Article 27.1. The numbers in here are footnotes, and uh, the scripture references are listed for you at the bottom of the page and the next page and the page after. So all these uh, footnotes are scripture references. But let me just read it. I think it's a decent overview. Kingdom of God. God is the almighty sovereign who reigns eternally over all his creation. His kingdom triumphs forever according to his will. Even the sinful rebellion of mankind cannot defeat him, but instead serves and glorifies him. God's plan, demonstrated throughout human history, has been to reveal his kingship on earth by delegating kingly dominion to human beings as his image bears. Through Adam's fall, the exercise of this dominion has been corrupted And man needs redemption in order to glorify God and reign in accordance with his will. As the last Adam, Jesus, in his humanity, manifests the proper vice-regency of the kingdom of God for the purpose of redemption and restoration, which will ultimately usher in the glorious kingdom for which creation was destined. Thus, the kingdom of God is advanced in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and his present reign. 
Acknowledging this reign, Christians confess Christ as Lord and willingly submit to his rulership in their personal lives and welcome his authority over all creation. That's this present reign of Christ. 27.3. The millennial reign of Christ is a further advancement of the kingdom whereby Jesus, through his second coming, brings his inaugurated kingdom to earth and makes it visible. During this reign, Christ will fulfill kingdom promises as he establishes righteousness, justice, and peace throughout all creation. At the start of this period, saints will be resurrected bodily to join in the reign with Christ. Satan will be bound and his deceitful activities suspended. Nevertheless, an undercurrent of human sinful resistance will continue through the millennium, <clears throat> though held in check as Christ rules with a rod of iron. At the end of this millennial reign, Satan will be released to lead a rebellion against God's people and the Lord Jesus. In a climatic manifestation of his kingship, Christ will defeat the rebellion. When Christ has subdued all his enemies, including death, he will present the kingdom to his Father. The triune God will preside over a new heaven and a new earth. This is chapters 21 and 22. Uh, so we will see these in the next coming weeks. Uh, all prophecies of Scripture will have been fulfilled, God's eternal kingship, having been established and vindicated by his royal exercise of his son's authority, will at that time be present and manifest in full glory over all creation forever and ever. So that is the end. So next week, uh, we will look at this new heaven and new earth in chapters 21 and 22. This ends the end of the millennial reign of Christ. I've got five minutes. Any questions that anyone would like to ask since we went over this so fast? Yes, Nate. Yes. Yes. It should read, however, the belief in Jesus is the only way out of judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a difference there. Yes. Thank you for catching that. Way out. Yes. Yes, Mike. Right. Yep, that self-deception. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's just incredible, isn't it? Uh, it's, uh, but a lot of times people know what the outcome is and do it anyway. Uh, that's the nature of sin. Um, we know it's not good for us, and yet we sin anyway. But yeah, that, that just... It's incredible, but there's no question that he knows what's going to happen. Uh, when uh, Jesus casts out the legion, uh, those uh, many devils, and they uh, enter into the swine, 
Uh, if you remember, they say to him, why are you persecuting us bef uh, before the time? Uh, they know their judgment is coming. Uh, yeah. Yes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think the, the, the only... Uh, way I can do that in a couple sentences is by doing what I just did and saying, yes, there is a sense in which the kingdom is present. And the scripture does refer to Satan as being bound. But the, but the scripture also says there's a sense in which the kingdom is yet to be fulfilled. Uh, that there is still this putting all things under the feet of Jesus. There is this earthly reign. Um, so um, what has to happen is you have to take Revelation chapter 20 and make all of that figurative and spiritual, all right? That it uh, is not to be taken literally. And uh, I don't see the, the warrant for that. We can look at a number of passages in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 12 is a great chapter uh, that speaks of the millennial kingdom. I love that passage. Isaiah chapter 12 says, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, my, uh, thou, though, though thou wast angry with me, uh, thou comfortest me. Uh, with joy we shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. And then that day we shall say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One in the midst of thee. Uh, that's still coming. Uh, that rejoicing, that giving of thanks, that drawing out the water of wells of salvation, of just seeing God's restoration, looking at <clears throat> the physical restoration of this earth, of singing uh, uh, joy to the world, uh, that uh, he is going to remove the curse as far as uh, uh, the world is found. Uh, uh, what is that? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Uh, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Uh, it's going to be like Garden of Eden all over again. It's going to be a, a total reformation. That's why I say I wish there was time to go into all this. But the millennial, the amillennial position doesn't account for all those kinds of passages that talk about the transformation of the earth, they jettison all of that into the new heaven and the new earth. I, I think the biggest failure is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that uh, when Christ has subdued all things, he will deliver the kingdom over to the Father. In amillennialism, there is no giving of the kingdom over to the Father. The purpose of the millennial kingdom is, as I was talking about in this article, it is the vice regency of mankind. It is fulfillment of what we were created to do. God created us to rule over this earth, representing him. We were created in the image of God, Male and female created he them. And he gave us dominion 
over this earth, meaning that we were to reign over this earth. We were to reign over this earth in the way in which it, God reigns. We were to show forth the glory of God by reigning the way that he does. But we committed sin. And so we reign selfishly now. We exercise authority not in a godly way, but in an ungodly way. So the purpose of the millennial kingdom is to show forth God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ who will reign on this earth totally in keeping with the will of God. We are to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That happens when Jesus comes. And only then will God's will be done on earth in the way in which it's done in heaven because Jesus is righteous. He is just. He is holy. He is good. And he will rule righteously, holy, justly, lovingly. He will reward good. He will punish evil, even as God does. And that's what happens in the millennial kingdom. He rewards good. He punishes evil. Uh, all of that cannot be seen in this present day. That would be some of my arguments for uh, an earthly, earthly reign. Oh, there's so much, so much good stuff there. But let's pray. Our Father, uh, we thank you for the reign of Jesus Christ. We look forward to this time in which Jesus is going to come to this earth and reign in absolute righteousness and holiness and justice. Oh Lord, we, we praise you and we say, even with the Apostle John, even so come Lord Jesus. Thank you that we do not need to fear your coming. For when you come, we will reign with you. Not because of our goodness, but because of the salvation that we joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are spared judgment. Thank you that we reign with you forever and ever and ever. Thank you for a part and a, a new heaven and a new earth that we will talk about in these next two weeks. But uh, bless us, we pray, and give us joy as we think about this coming kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.